All right. Good morning. That many of you probably didn't see me up here this morning, but uh, um, or maybe you did. And it was just me. Um, it was it was definitely a, a lengthy process. There was a, a lot of battles. I had to fight, um, distraction, doubt, um, just priorities that I normally have because of working full time and just responsibilities at home, but then I kind of got to know this more excellent way that we heard of at the end of chapter 12. And it's also that more excellent way that um, is the kind of the circumstance of why I'm even up here today. It was that it was uh, kind of being put into action. So, um, so with that said, um, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the text up on the screen for those online and people in here. Um, we also have Bibles in the back of the seats. Uh, we believe heavily in the Bible around here that it's, you know, our God's tool to connect with his people. Um, so kind of where are we? We, we kind of left off last week with this kind of more excellent way that um, Paul was mentioning. Um, you know, it was the the Corinthian church is in chaos. They're kind of doing all these things. Paul started talking about the concept of spiritual gifts that diff different one of them have. And he also kind of outlined how those gifts need to kind of be used in unison to serve, you know, the body of Christ. Um, he also kind of gave kind of an, out an order of importance of the gifts as well in terms of how important they are to the gospel. Um, and then he kind of hinted at this more excellent way. So with that being said, let's just kind of get into uh, the text, starting at verse 1. So starting at verse 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clang, clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So kind of before I get really into the text here, this, we kind of, you know, right in the opening verses, we kind of learn what that more excellent way is. Um, and there's kind of a, a certain flow to these first three verses. And to kind of illustrate that, I kind of like to uh, display a graphic, though it might be hard to read, but um, people might not be, f those that might not be familiar with this, uh, there's this concept on the internet called memes. Uh, and the idea behind memes is that it's kind of like something happens and people crack a joke at it and they use it to crack jokes at other things. The idea behind this meme, it's like an expanding brain where the idea is like there's a base idea and then it just gradually gets bigger. And typically people use it on the internet to kind of make fun of something or it's kind of done in an ironic way. But I thought it was still a good meme to kind of illustrate the text that we, that we uh, see here in the first three verses. So we kind of, Paul, you see that Paul starts in verse one with uh, mentioning um, tongues, if I speak in tongues and of angels. So that's kind of 
so what the pattern that we first see here is that uh, he starts with the tongues and then he kind of gradually goes into a more extreme um, all the way up to giving away all he has and, you know, to be burned. So I'm kind of going to illustrate that and there's kind of a reasoning for that. So I guess the first thing is why does Paul even start with saying tongues and angels? Um, basically, the simple thing is it's because the Corinthians abused it the most. It was the biggest problem that they faced when they were with the gifts that they were given. Um, and we saw at the end of chapter 12 that it was the least, it was, at the, it was one of the last things in importance. Um, and he was kind of starting it off here to kind of say that, you know, hey, if without your nothing, if this isn't done without love, and to make that point, he even uses the term and of angels. Now, um, there's no, now it's not to get caught up in what angels is meant here. There's, in scripture, there's no teaching that people can learn a language of angels. The idea here is just to kind of illustrate the point that even if, even if Paul could know all the languages of men and all the languages of the divine, it wouldn't be, mean anything without love. Um, so, so that kind of leaves us, we kind of know that excellent way now. What, so what is love? Um, dictionary definition, at least the one I looked up, it's a selfless concern for others. Um, but, you know, what we see in culture today is sometimes culture tends to put its own spin on things. And I'm guilty of that too. I think all of us are kind of guilty of that. Um, you know, there's, we always say, I love this, I love that. You know, I, I'll say things like, I love to bike ride, or, you know, I like to get barbecue. But just think about saying that kind of with this definition in mind. I have a selfless concern for tacos. Doesn't really, or I have a selfless concern for barbecue. That doesn't really sound good now, does it? We never, I think we tend to, and I think it's just our nature, we tend to say these things without really maybe thinking about, you know, what if we're really using the right terminology. Because um, in God's, in the scriptures, that's what it, love is all about, a selfless concern for others. Um, so to kind of, then to kind of get back to the first one, it kind of mentioned, ends with this concept. It says, he's just a, it's just without love, he says noise, he uses the word noisy gong or uh, cl uh, clanging cymbal. Um, with what I, how I like to illustrate this point is like, imagine yourself at a concert, right? You have tickets um, and some guy, maybe he's part, maybe he has tickets to the show too or he just barges right in, but he, he, has, this, he has a boom box with him, right? And he has it cranked up all the way. The shows, everyone's trying to enjoy the show and they got this guy come in with his boom box all cranked up and it's kind of annoying everyone in there. You know, eventually the guy gets, you know, security escorts him out. Maybe he's arrested. Um, but when it's all said and done, the guy didn't really do anything to add value to the experience that people 
we're having there. And that's kind of what, you know, Paul was trying to get with when he was mentioning about, you know, talking in tongues of men and angels, that, you're, you know, you're just noise without love. You're not bringing anything fruitful to the table if you're not having love used with it. So in verse 2, he kind of continues, kind of, you know, he's kind of he's kind of going up the chain, right, from uh, how Paul gave the order in the previous chapter. So now he kind of gets into verse 2. He talks about the prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries, knowledge, all faith, to remove mountains. Um, it's kind of just, he's just kind of continuing up the hierarchy here as that image shown. It's not up there now, but... It's kind of just, it's kind of going to that next level, like, okay, even tongues, but now even of, you know, if you had all knowledge, and in, in this case, when he says all knowledge, it's kind of referring to basically all observable knowledge that we could comprehend as a human on earth if we were able to do that. And when he's in mysteries here, it's kind of referring to kind of knowledge in a divine way. Um, that's why you see how it says, um, you know, it's it's referring to as to remove mountains at the end of it. Um, you know, normally there's no there's no way we could ever, in an observable manner, move mountains, right? And then he also mentions all faith in that verse. Um, he's not talking about faith, saving faith. The Corinthians technically already had saving faith. He's kind of in here. He's talking about the concept of um, faith and basically if he had, uh, had all confident faith and all confidence in the, what the Lord would do for them through any circumstance. Um, so he's just kind of using all these different gifts to kind of just exaggerate the point that even to their most extreme, it, they, wouldn't, they would be amount to nothing without love. So then we see... Um, Lastly, in verse 3, you know, he's kind of ends with what I kind of see the most extreme, right? Um, he kind of mentioned these things with knowledge and tongues. I mean, okay, sure. But then he kind of ends in verse 3. He says, you know, if I give away all I have, and if I develop my body to be burned, I think we would all see that's pretty extreme, right? Um, it's hard to really fathom, you know, an, a, a real-life example today of that. But I think the main point here is, um, you know, Paul is even to the most extreme point of giving away all someone had, even if they also somehow were able to, if they were willing to, to sacrifice themselves, if somehow they did that without love, they still would just be nothing. Um, so to kind of, and then some other observations with this text is, you see that, you know, the word all is used there. So it's, Paul's basically saying, you know, he's being inclusive and not exclusive. And, you know, he uses the word nothing, gain nothing. You know, it's very, he uses that to be, probably to be a tension grabber to the Corinthians. So um, with that being said, let's kind of continue on here in the next set of passages. So starting at verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what we saw after reading that in the previous verses, Paul was kind of, you know, he's kind of, at first he kind of kicked it off, showing us the, the emptiness produced when love is not present with the gifts that we use. Um, these verses, we kind of just are now seeing how love, the fullness of love described in the case of what does love do, what does it not do. Um, many of you probably may know that these are also the most common verses that are tend to be used at weddings. Um, but there's kind of, most, for the most part, there's kind of, kind of a problem with that. So let's kind of go over some of the problems with kind of the, the wedding view. Um, the first, which is probably the biggest problem, is those that use these scriptures in weddings. Um, it's not, the, the context here is not about the union of a man and a woman. You know, it's about, he's, Paul's talking here about, you know, the Corinthians and their issue with the spiritual gifts. And he was telling them what the con- this concept of love is in that regard. He's not talking about a man union with a woman. Now, not to say that these verses that we heard couldn't describe a marriage. I mean, that's, they, I mean, you would definitely want those in a marriage, but it's just not what Paul is talking about in this passage. Um, so, and I think it's also people who use it for weddings, if they, maybe if they really thought about the whole passage, they maybe would, you know, maybe they would see that maybe there's another scripture that would describe their union much better than this one. And these things that we see here would just still be implied. And it's also that, you know, this concept of, you know, people use this associated with romantic love. And we know culture these days tends to have its own um, definition of what that, what romantic love is. Um, I kind of summed this up with, you know, at least with what I observe is we see kind of this view of romantic love of, you know, you can, it's kind of this you can only view, you know, we kind of like, for example, you know, some people may see love as, oh, you can only, because you need to, you you need to marry a guy that has a lot of money, that will make you happy, so you can only marry in that regard, that, love is only that, or, you know, you can, or like, if a guy gets a woman a diamond ring, that's what love is about. So society kind of put, has put its own twist on what love is, and it hasn't really, um, hasn't really done it in how Christ, how it's done in the Bible here today, which is kind of ironic, right? Because of these two points, um, it's funny how it's held up high in culture when society has these different views of love, but it's, you know, which is not what Paul is referring to here, yet we still have people who use these verses in that regard anyway. So kind of back to the the text, you see Paul start off here with, uh, love is patient and kind. I think we can uh, all say that, at least I can say, the most impatient thing that I've always done was driving. I'm always impatient while I'm driving, and I'm sure some of us can speak to that. it's one thing, I, even in my walk today, that I struggle with. Um, we, the word patient is common throughout the New Testament, and most parties used 
in the context of um, being patient with people rather than circumstances or events. Um, but basically what Paul is getting at here is, you know, patience doesn't get angry. Um, it doesn't get, feel inconvenienced if a wrong has been done, even if it was over and over again. Um, you know, it never retaliates. Um, and, you know, God, God was the ultimate, Christ was the ultimate definition of patience on the cross, and the cross showed that. Um, you know, I have, this makes me think of the famous lines in Luke 23, 34, when, you know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not, do not know what they are doing. Um, that, that right there is just an ultimate act of patience. After all he's been through, all, all the wrongs he, he, that was done to him unfairly, he just continued to still f ask for forgiveness for them. Um, then we see the word kindness, and kindness is kind of like a, a counterpart to patience. It's kind of um, patience is you're, you're taking anything from others. Kindness is like you will give anything for others. Um, and kindness, the idea behind kindness is where you're work, it's an action. You're working for others' welfare. It's useful. It's gracious. It does, it's not just kind of a thought towards other people. It's an action towards other people. And to kind of allude to that, in Matthew 5, chapter 5, 40 through 31, it says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Uh, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So that kind of just further illustrates the point, you know. You, it's, kindness is all about action. It takes, it goes the extra mile when it doesn't need to. And those counterparts together, patience and love, is what makes love valid. So then, now we look at verse 5. Now we see Paul kind of turn into, um, start, you know, with a negative tone now. He kind of describes what love is not. You know, you, you, you see him use words here. Envy, boast, arrogant, rude. Um, you know, it doesn't insist on its own resentful. Um, those that may not be familiar with envy, it's just a, another word for jealousy. You know, jealousy, as we all may know, it's, you know, always does wanting what someone else has, or even worse, desiring evil for someone, for someone else because maybe they had something that you wanted or maybe it's for some other reason. Then you got, you know, I mentioned boasting. Um, I like to think of boasting, it's kind of like an alter ego of jealousy. Um, you know, bragging elevates ourselves, right, um, over someone else. So you kind of got one that puts others down and the other puts us up. Now the Corinthians, they were spiritual braggers. They, they were not shy about the gifts they had. Um, they were always, they're always trying to one-up each other with the gifts that God gave them. And they were just, you know, they were all these words that we were seeing here. They weren't repentant. Um, and it was, it was the opposite of the, the function of the body of Christ that was mentioned, that he described previously. Um, so, but then we also see, you know, that the other, this other word, resentfulness. You know, resentfulness is kind of this word of feeling like you've been unfairly treated for something. Um, and uh, so what Paul is saying there is like, you know, love is better than that. You know, the work on the cross, Christ was, he never had bitterness for, his, for the work he did. Um, he was never, these words, envious, boastful, or arrogant. He was kind and patient through the whole time. 
And now we see in verse 6, um, he talks about, use, now uses, you see the word rejoice. It, love doesn't rejoice wrongdoing, it rejoices in truth. Um, so it's pretty, I think it's a pretty straightforward statement here. If he's basically saying if it's not, um, if it's, if it's not true, if it's not love, it's not truth. Love doesn't take satisfaction in sin. Anything that's wrong is a, a sight, God grieves a heart that is full of love. Not, be, not merely because the wrong hurts the one that it has done, but because God is displeased with the wrong and must punish the wrongdoer. Instead of rejoicing over the wrong, love grieves over the wrong. So that's, you know, it's, it's pretty truthful of words right there. Then we now see in verse 7, um, we now kind of see Paul kind of come back to a, a more positive tone here. Um, he kind of ends this section with more positive. He says, you know, uses the word, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, and I think maybe he might do these, be saying these in a certain order, but we'll see. Um, but he's kind of, you know, kind of like the first couple of verses, we kind of see this word all used. You know, Paul is trying to make his point known with this word all to kind of exaggerate the importance of love in these functions. Um, so what, um, so let's kind of break down these different words that we hear. So, you know, the first thing we hear is bears. So those that are familiar with the King James, it may use the word suffers or to be more technical, suffer, suffereth, I think. But the concept is still the same here. The idea here is, you know, the, the um, love bears all things. If one person suffers, he, the whole body suffers. If one person in the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. Everything is done as one body. It's, it's bearing everything together. That's what um, it says, you know, sin is certain, sin is certain, love, even when sin is certain, love corrects. It takes the path of least harm to the guilty. That's kind of what it is meant by bear, bears here. Then he kind of uses some other terms here. He says believes. You know, love is also always wanting the best outcome, even when a wrong has been done. Um, it seeks the most favorable possibility. Um, then we see also words like um, hopes. You know, so the word kind of hope, the idea of my hope is having full confidence in all of God's promises, even ones that haven't been fulfilled yet. Um, I like to think of hope as an attitude um, that, will, that good will happen to those that may be failing in things right now. Um, you know, we all have failures in our lives at some point um, because that's just our, our nature. We're sinful. Um, but those that continue to embrace failure, regardless of that situation or trial, um, is what hope is all about. It's an optimism that keeps us going to persevere in Christ's glory until that day comes that we can be in his glory, his presence forever. Then we kind of see at the end of verse 7, this word endures. And I think this one's kind of the, one of the highlights, I'd like to say, that and as in as there's probably a good reason Paul ended this section with this word. Um, so what does the word endure mean? It basically means to remain in existence. 
it's everlast, everlasting through everything. Um, it's, so he's basically ending with, you know, love never ends. It's always in existence. There's no point in time where it would never be in existence. So it's kind of like, kind of, so I kind of like to sum up this section with like, you know, first love bears, all th bears things, then it believes, then after it believes, it hopes, and then lastly, um, after it hopes, it endures. And endures is kind of the, the climax of this, of, that we kind of reach here, because there's nothing that could possibly be better than love being everlasting. Um, so this kind of then segues into our kind of next set of verses here. So starting at verse 8, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So I think to start off here, the first kind of thing that grabs our attention there is we see the phrase, love never ends. So that kind of ties into kind of what verse 7 started at the end of it. Um, you know, this is also a case where in the King James, it may also, instead of ends, it may use the word uh, fails here. Um, and there also could be some, not, some confusion. Some believers may take this as, um, you know, if it says love never ends here, feeling that, you know, my, people might have feeling of that it's, you know, it's impossible to always love all the time. But that's not, you know, what, that's not what Paul is really alluding to here. What he's kind of talking about when he says love never ends um, is, that, is that even we know we have, we're not, we can't love perfectly just because of our sinful nature. Um, but he's kind of saying when we do love, it will not end or fail to be effective. You know, one person's choice to, to love selflessly never fails to build up the church in a powerful way. Selfless love will continue in the Lord and his people forever. You know, examples of selfless love in the present are just are glimpses of the normal state of things in eternity. Then we kind of last, you know, one other thing about that phrase is we also see it's the word never. So never here is kind of referring to a time context. It's not referring to a frequency context. It's basically saying at no time will love wither away. You know, as we heard, by nature it's permanent. You know, from the time we enter this world to, you know, being with Christ, you know, love is always present. Um, so then we also see at the second half of that verse is, you know, Paul talks about, you know, things like prophecies, tongues, gifts, that they will all cease and pass away. Now, you know, this was a this is a text that could be a very weighty one. It could have, you could have a sermon series on this text in and of itself, but I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> and I don't think you want me to either, and I don't think Stephen would either. Um, but the two, so there's kind of two main views that stem from this text. The first view is that um, the miraculous gifts, such as gifts, healing, unit, uh, tongues, interpretation, um, were just used to authenticate the message that the apostles had um, 
to um, the early church and that they ceased at the end of the first century, so you know, roughly 100 AD. The other view is that, um, that the, these miraculous gifts are still continual. They're still going on to this day, um, is that God is still working and that they would, um, that they would cease kind of when, when it says, when the perfect is present, um, and which is, and then how it says, in part gifts will pass away at that point when we enter into his presence. Um, so this, this phrase, in part, what does, what's kind of being said there? So verse 9 we see it says, for we, you know, know in part, prophecy in part. Um, there's a theologian I learned about, Charles Hodge. He kind of uses these terms in this way. He says they, um, he kind of speaks of this word part in this way, the, 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 in the gifts. They are partial or imperfect and therefore suited only to an imperfect state of existence. So it's kind of easy to say here that the words partial and imperfect are kind of used interchangeably here. You could insert imperfect, and that's kind of implying the same point as partial in this text. And then in verse 10, we see this big statement here. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So um, so what's, what does this mean? What's, what's the perfect comes? Well, simply, it's, um, it's just when we're in Christ's presence, when we're not on this earth anymore, when we're in his presence, when we fully know everything, um, everything else that is just temporal will pass away. It's all these gifts that we have that he's talking about that the Corinthians are using. They're only used to serve God's kingdom here and right now. But he's saying when we're in God's presence, they will no longer have a function. And that's and basically, that's what Paul wants, is trying to get at here. He doesn't want us to get caught up in these two different views. Um, it's kind of these different views that cause divisions in the church. It's even maybe created different um, denominations in the church. But um, and when division happens, it's going against what Paul is trying to get across in this test, text to begin with. And sometimes you wonder if, you know, those, those type of people are even taking that in consideration. They look at that one little verse, but then they kind of forget the whole concept of what Paul was trying to say in this chapter to begin with. Um, so he's just kind of, you know, divisions are kind of like what it says in verse 1. He, used, he mentioned with tongues, it's noisy gong, clanging cymbal. That, that's kind of what, you know, divisions in this regard would be kind of fit the same thing. It's Divisions wouldn't be an others-focused service. Um, the idea here is just, as just mentioned, it's focusing on the term pass away and cease. These things will, are temporal. They, won't, they will serve a purpose for a period of time, but then they won't be needed anymore because everything will be known at that point. Um, so, but the idea here is kind of earthly understanding of these gifts such as knowledge, prophecy, speaking in tongues, other miraculous gifts that may be used for guiding the body, preaching the gospel. Um, we just need, we're using them just to, on earth. They won't be, have any reason to be done, to be used when we're in the presence of Christ. 
and we shouldn't get caught up in that. But it's, that's not saying that our, war, our walk on earth doesn't matter. So let's kind of continue here looking at verse 11. So verse 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Um, so kind of Paul, he's kind of now adding like a different spin as of what we saw in the previous text. He's kind of using this child-adult analogy to kind of talk about our spiritual maturity right now. Um, we're kind of seeing how apply like the human experience of, of maturity through actions such as talking, thinking, um, reasoning as a child and how they would transform when we get older. And I think a simple f example to illustrate this is, I think many of us that have kids know that there's a time that they, especially maybe when they start reaching like age where they can talk, you know, they, they ask for like a new toy, right? That they want you to buy. Um, they play with it for a little bit and then eventually they get sick of it, right? And then they ask, they ask for a new toy and that pattern just keeps repeating, right? Um, they basically, they have a limited understanding of how money works um, during their time as a child. They don't really understand what the concept of money is. But then when they continue through school, they get an education, then they go, they grow up, they become an adult. Typically, and I'm going to use the word typically because it doesn't always happen, but typically the idea here, right, is that their understanding of money at that point shouldn't be limited. <laughs> they would probably know at that point that they can't just always buy a new toy because money doesn't money doesn't always, isn't going to always be there, or it needs to be used for something else. So that same idea here is used in this passage as well that Paul's trying to get here to the Corinthians. These gifts of prophecy, knowledge, miraculous gifts, they're limited in their effectiveness um, if, they're not, um, if they're not done to serve others, and for that matter, serve others for the body of Christ. You know, we need to kind of learn and grow in these things that focus on service to others is kind of what makes us adults here, is kind of what Paul is getting at. He's saying that if you're, if you're, claiming, to, if he's, if you're claiming to be saved by Christ, then act like it. Stop being a child about it. Um, you, know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a serious thing. We, we can't take Christ for granted. Um, so that's what he's just basically saying here. He's just, he, you know, he, when he started following Christ, he put away that childless behavior. Now we kind of see a different analogy here in uh, verse 12. So let's kind of take a look here. So 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Um, so right off the bat, we kind of see a couple interesting words here. As we see the words used now and then. Um, so kind of the context here is, you know, now is kind of here on earth. Then is kind of when we're in Christ's presence. So, you know, in our earthly life, even though we have kind of the Word of God at our fingertips, um, we can only see God so much, right? There's no way to really perfectly know God as long as we're on this earth because of our sinful nature. 
Um, you know, then you see the word mirrors used here to illustrate before dimly. So now mirrors during the biblical times, it was kind of like a, a polished metal. So you can kind of imagine it was probably, you probably didn't see your reflection too well in those mirrors compared to the mirrors we see in today's world. Um, in either case, you know, the illustration here is kind of just, um, our, our knowledge is only so limited of God on earth, even if we study very hard. Um, but once we are in his presence, we will fully know. Um, so another, maybe another example is like a photograph, right? Um, you know, people today enjoy clear photographs of maybe loved ones or th of themselves, pets. But those pictures only barely begin to portray the wonderful person they're trying to depict. Um, so, you know, it's kind of ties back into this point. You know, we can only see so much of God, picture so much of God in this life, but it doesn't, um, it only just starts to depict what he's truly like. And then we kind of see the, the end of that verse. It says, he uses this phrase, even has I been fully known. So what Paul is saying here is that um, in God's presence, we will know God and his ways as he kind of knows us right now in this moment. God, of course, is never limited in his knowledge. I mean, he knows everything about us. I mean, no one's denying that. Um, but even if we don't understand ourselves, um, when we are with Christ, he's basically saying when we are with Christ, we will know fully um, as he knows us completely in this moment as we are here on earth. Um, so now let's kind of see what, you know, Paul wants to uh, kind of wrap up here with the, to the Corinthians. In verse 13, so he says, <clears throat> so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So now he kind of, he kind of switches, we see kind of Paul kind of end here with a kind of a context, an earthly context, um, because he's basically trying to drive home the point that, you know, we have faith, we have hope, we, and we have love. All these things are made to work together. But the faith and hope can't really pull their weight without love being present. If love isn't present, it kind of nullifies the other two of really being tools as we're on this earth. Um, so basically, then you, he ends with an absolute statement, you know, love is the best. Um, it's, it's the supreme thing. It's above all others. Um, and it, it, it's supreme here on earth, and it's also supreme in heaven, in Christ's presence. Um, as beautiful as these other things are, as we've said, they aren't everlasting. Gifts, faith, hope, one day they will all cease, and they will cease when we kind of transform into Christ's glory. Um, love will be perfectly illuminated at that point as we stand in God's glory. Um, but the good thing is that his love... Um, great thing is love can be illustrated now is kind of what Paul is kind of ending with here. Love is the link that God gives us to himself. Love dies to itself is what Paul is trying to get at here. It's, it dies to itself to serve others, just like Christ died 
um, to serve us. It's, it's patient, it's selfish, endures all things, just like he did on the cross. So how do we, how do we respond to this this morning? We kind of, um, as we heard here, you know, the main idea that is love, that love dies to itself. It's, we, it's made to serve others, and that's, that's what the cross is all about. And going through the text, we kind of learned about three different things here. We learned that love is prominent. It's important. It elevates. It stands out above other things. Um, you know, it's, we learned about the different qualities of love and um, that it's, the qualities are made to serve others as opposed to serving ourselves. And lastly, we kind of learned that love is everlasting. It's permanent. It's, un, it's unchanging indefinitely. So, but, um, so given that, you know, as a believer, you know, maybe our response is that we were just, it's a, we were reminded of what that perfect definition of love is, that it's dying to, our, it's dying to self and serving others. Um, that if we know if we act similar to how the Corinthians did with how they used the spiritual gifts, then we're obviously missing the walk in our in our, um, obviously missing the mark in our walk. So how do unbelievers respond to this? Well, maybe for unbelievers, it's maybe you just found out what that perfect definition of love is. Maybe you just learned that, you just, you realize that maybe there's, that there's an actual distinction between self-fulfilled love and others-filled love. Your response may be that you just need to cling on to that others-focused love that was described here. Christ died for our shortcomings, um, not his. And despite that, he, was, he still served us versus himself. So let's hold on to that truth today. Um, I'll be up front. Um, those of you that want to see how this looks like, we have plenty of people here that are willing to go, definitely walk through people, walk through things further here. But this is such a simple truth, just love dies to itself and it serves others. So let's, let's pray on that today. Dear God, thank you for uh, this message today. Um, love can be, a, can be a complex subject, but it can also be an easy subject. I think the more, most people prefer to make it simple, what, what you're trying to tell us what love is. I just thank you that you gave me the opportunity to uh, deliver this message today, even though there was a lot of things I had to battle to even uh, prepare and deliver something. But the hope is that you use this today to further your kingdom, use it for something good, and maybe help us rethink maybe what, where our priorities are, whether it's in ourselves and our, or it's in others. So help us go forth today understanding those things. And I just lift these things up in your precious son's name. Amen.